Welcome to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This segment of the Clinician's Roundtable is brought to you by Prova Education, your source for evidence-based continuing medical education. Obesity in children and teens. Many journalists call it the silent pandemic of our country. But for those on the front lines of healthcare for these populations, there's absolutely nothing silent about it. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and joining me today is Dr. Brian McDonough. He's clinical professor of family medicine at Temple University School of Medicine and chairman of the family medicine department at St. Francis Hospital in Wilmington, Delaware. Dr. McDonough, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. So why don't you help us understand the problem of, of, of obesity in children and teens today? What exactly, what's going on here? Well, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon because you know, we hear about it, we read about it, it seems to be getting worse every year, and so now we have sociologists studying it, we have physicians studying it, there's scientific studies. I think it's a combination of things. I think clearly there is a, a trend to have a, a fast food diet, so to speak, high fat, get as much in for as cheap as you can. It certainly is hitting uh, part of our culture, which may not have the resources that other parts do. You combine that with the fact that the things that were staples in school at one time, you know, gym class and the emphasis on exercise, they've more or less fallen to the back. And the third thing is, I would say the, you know, we used to have kids watching television and spending a lot of time in front of the TV. Well, now you have TV, you have video games, you have handhelds. I mean, you have all sorts of things, but all of them seem to not be encouraging the actual exercise. It's more you could have somebody run for you at a game. You don't have to run yourself. You can. You can play and connect through the Internet and play a bunch of other kids, but they're not all outside playing in their neighborhood. So it's a combination of those factors, and I think we're seeing them all add together. Do you think in some ways it's a perfect storm in which we're dealing with uh, real deficits in diet uh, and fads uh, as far as the fast food eating that's really pervasive in the country as well as uh, more and more reasons not to be out and, and getting exercise? Well, I think, Matt, clearly the biggest thing that we're seeing, without a doubt, is it's diet-driven. I mean, that more than anything. Because if you even think about your own self or any of us, you know, if we increase our calories dramatically, we can exercise all we want. It's really hard to reduce the weight because it's the calories in that cause the problem. In kids, um, you're, you're not just increasing calories, but you're increasing empty calories. I mean, things like soda. It isn't even just fast food. Kids just might drink two or three sodas. They may have uh, orange juice, grape juice, you know, in excess. Those kind of things adding together can give you a lot of empty calories, and I think that's it. But then when you add on the fact that, you know, a lot of our exercise now in, in just about every area is structured. When the days of kids going into the park and picking up and playing a baseball game by themselves has been replaced for a wide variety of reasons by a little league game with structure. Uh, you know, that they'll be playing soccer. Well, they play soccer with their parents on a Saturday. I think the involvement of parents is great, but a lot of the free play and those things are gone. So it is, as you say, this perfect storm, and it's a change that we've been seeing for a couple of decades now. It's only now we're really starting to notice, though, as these younger kids who are heavy are now 15, 18, 19, that they're starting not only to be heavier, but they're starting to pick up some of the problems we wouldn't have expected until the late 30s. Let's hone in on that and talk about the problems that we're starting to see now as these children are advancing in age. Help us reiterate why it's so important to curb obesity issues in the youth now. Well, I think there's a number of reasons. The biggest reason is, look at our own lives. What we do when we're older, we probably started out when we were young. 
those formative years have a tremendous effect and impact on what we do years later. So if you're someone who has learned proper diet, uh, learned the importance of spending time eating with the family, those types of things, they could be encouraged and continue throughout life. If you're someone who eats on the run all the time when you're young or eats, has poor choices or eats lots of cakes and pies and fatty foods and fried foods and, and you get that, that's what you'll continue doing as you get older. Yeah, the pattern is going to stay with us. And as you said earlier, uh, sectioning and, and quartering off activities so that it's a planned event rather than people just being active day in, day out, and all day, uh, it really does seem to be a pervasive change in this country as well. But the energy in, energy out is probably the overall most persuasive argument here, and I think we're starting to see that catch up with us. Uh, what about in practice? Where does a physician in practice start to even tackle this issue with his or her patients? Well, I think you do a few things. First of all, you know, we're all rushing with our patients. We need to spend a lot more time with them if we possibly can, and especially when they're young, to talk to them about diet, you know, to find out what they're eating. If you see a child who's overweight, I mean, don't chastise them for being overweight, but try to look at maybe you seem to be a little heavier on that growth chart and uh, you're a little higher in the percentage. Um, and ask mom, ask dad, what do they do as far as exercise? What are their food choices? It's quite possible that they may not be aware of what's happening because they see their child every day. So we can intervene as physicians and healthcare providers and make those differences. And I think that's good. The conversation is important. But then the next step is following up with information. Um, talk about proper ways to diet, proper ways to do things. And you don't have to make it complex. You don't have to um, intimidate them. I think a lot of times, you know, I, I know that a lot of the diet plans, you see that are out there, you know, it's, you have to have this much of this, this much of that, so many ounces of this, so many ounces of that, and it intimidates the average person. Whereas if you give them realistic things like, you know, try using smaller portions on the plate. You know, you know colorful foods and vegetables tend to be a little better. You know, things that are easy to remember might be the way to go. Uh, cut back on, um, you know, ice cream to a certain number of times a week. And again, I mean, notice I say a certain number of times a week. You know, unless somebody has a real issue, what you're trying to do is make something realistic, make something so it's achievable. I don't think there's anything wrong for adults who are, are on a diet. You know, they, they do well for four or five days, and if they go out uh, with their significant other or they're out with their family and they're celebrating, have some birthday cake. I mean, if you don't live, you're eventually going to crack and you're going to go back to bad habits. So it's that trying to do moderation and at the same time, making it easy to understand. I think they're the things you do. And I think kids will pick up on that. You know, it's interesting in this particular population, we're talking about a twofold conversation here. Um, I mean, you as a family practitioner are speaking to adults with obesity issues, and you're also speaking to kids with obesity issues. You're speaking along the whole spectrum of, of ages of life. And in this case, where we're talking about children and teens, there is a twofold conversation here. I mean, why don't you illuminate that a little bit for our audience, how you're thinking about both the parents and the children, the patients themselves? Well, when you have somebody young, before, let's say, they're in high school, parents have a lot of control over diet. In other words, kids are going to take food to school if, if it's being packed at home, or the parents can suggest to the school, if they're eating at school, what to eat. Now, a lot of schools are coming up with healthier choices, which makes it beneficial. But if mom or dad packs something that is healthy, it's, it's a better chance of doing things. So I might say, you know, have you thought of a wrap? You know, have you thought of maybe a, a, a piece of fruit instead of cake? That could be helpful. And I think that's the big thing. I think if you, if you give them alternatives and choices that are beneficial, you're better off that way. 
and, and look at it from that perspective. Then if the child start as they get older, go, well, you know, I didn't always have cake for dessert in my lunch. I, I had some fruit. They may turn to fruit. And I think that's important as well. And it does go um, hand in hand with what you experience. Because when they're in high school, you know, the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. They're going to start eating what they want to eat. or They're going to have opportunities to grab other things. And again, nothing wrong with having some cake or having some candy. That's fine. But as long as they understand this can't be the norm, it, it should be the exception. Well, what about the aspect of education in this in this respect? We we know there's a great deal of education, a lot of campaigns, a lot of efforts towards dieting, towards different strategies, whether they be cutback strategies, replacement strategies. Um, how do you think that those efforts and campaigns have been doing? Well, I think they're good and bad. I think they're good without a doubt. To, anytime you can educate, the better. But um, I think maybe to a large extent, younger people have been kind of turned off by it. They kind of look at it as something they can pass by. I mean, if it's a TV commercial, they might flick through it. Um, I think what they really do is they, they model what they see. And I'm not saying it's Hollywood's job, you know, to see have people sitting around eating grapefruit at the table or something. But I think more and more opportunities you have to see people doing healthy things, the better. And I think that's helpful. The direct education at this point, I think, needs to be done at the school level as well. I think we need to incorporate more of this into the classroom and more teaching that makes sense, more teaching that's easily understandable. If you can do that, um, it's, an, it's an opportunity, again, to have a captive audience that you can help. Now, do you find that the message itself needs to change uh, based on the delivery towards younger children versus adolescents, or do you think that there's a consistent message that needs to be delivered the entire way through? I think, Matt, it's a consistent message that has to be delivered different ways. In other words, you know, an adolescent is going to look at things very differently than, than a 10-year-old. And so you have to, you know, ramp it up for the adolescent. Um, you know, you could have a 10-year-old, you can have a superhero eating a proper diet, and it could, it could mean a lot to a 10-year-old. Well, you know, a 16-year-old is going to scoff at that. So you have to, what's a 16-year-old doing? Maybe a 16-year-old is going to react to the fact that, uh, you know, a, a Nickelodeon or a Disney star is eating a certain diet, and then they're making those changes, and they'll relate to that. Um, you know, I give an example. Uh, the Jonas Brothers, for a period of time, one of them has diabetes and was talking about diet, and they did a number of shows related to diet, which the kids saw, and it caused them to ask questions. So if the parents have a bit of knowledge, or school at least has a bit of knowledge, they talk about it, their health care provider talks about it, and they see it, these things creep in. And again, we don't have to do it all at once. It can be done over time. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that there is a, a delayed reaction as well uh, when you have that consistent message and you keep employing it in different ways. Something's going to stick. I'm reminded of over 20 years ago, there, was, uh, there were pitches from the Sesame Street end towards Captain Vegetable. And it, did it change uh, people's uh, perceptions or, or kids' attitudes at the time? No, but 20 years later, some people talk about that and say, you know, that actually was memorable, and uh, I have a, a different opinion on, on food because of funny little things like that that were introduced in young childhood. It's amazing what kids remember when they're older. I mean, as I get older and I talk to my kids and, and other people's kids about things they remember when they were young, the things that stick would surprise you, and I think it's a consistent approach and trying to make, uh, you know, those types of things. But again, it really comes down to the day-to-day -day habits you choose. And again, I don't want anybody, you know, as a healthcare provider who's listening or, or someone who's just listening who has kids, I think there's anything wrong with, you know, you get fast food on a Thursday night before a soccer game because you just got to get what you can when you can. But if that becomes four out of five nights, you start thinking, what am I 
teaching my kids. And in addition, you know, is, is 45 minutes to an hour of soccer going to be enough to make up for all that other food they're eating? That's where you have to be careful. It's all moderation and proportion, and they hopefully will take that into their lives. You know, the bigger issue is when you have someone who really does have a problem with obesity and it starts to take hold because then what happens is it, it almost psychologically, you know, they're 12 years old, they're heavy, they don't want to exercise because they're embarrassed, and they're 16 years old, they're heavier, they're 22 years old, and they still haven't been exercising, and now they have poor self-image, they have problems with relationships, they're dealing with issues about the food they're taking in, and then we start having the metabolic issues, you know, metabolic syndrome and all those other problems associated with being overweight, and by the time they're 30, they could be facing things that some other people aren't facing, you know, if they're out of condition until they're like 50. Why don't we talk about that patient, that representative patient at the cusp of adolescence, just moving into adolescence. You're seeing the warning signs ahead. You're seeing it right in front of you. This person's in your office. What are you telling this this person? And what kind of food strategies or what kind of overall strategies are you giving this person to try to prevent that outcome? Well, when you get an adolescent, you've got to be delicate with it. But when you get an adolescent somebody into their 20s, now you can start having, you know, heart-to-heart talk with them. You know, you can tell a 17-year-old, listen, you know, you're the one who's going to live with this, and you're the one who's going to have the issues, and they're going to get it because they know it's impacting them in certain ways. And you might talk to them about, do you find it, you know, is it difficult for you to go up the stairs when you're at school compared to other kids? I mean, do you find that, you know, when you're in, at a gym class or whatever, you're struggling? All of those things are important, and I really believe that we, we, we make sure that we discuss those issues with them and that we um, talk about it in a nice conversational way where they can come back. That's when you also begin to give the information about diet to eat. And that's also when you say there's going to be, you know, a, a concern here. I think one of the things I know we do as family doctors a lot is if you don't see somebody, you, you kind of think, hey, I must be doing a good job. I haven't seen them. Well, that isn't always the case. Sometimes you don't see people because you didn't connect or you didn't, uh, you know, you, you said something that they didn't want to hear. So you not only have to talk with them, but I think sometimes it's on us as the healthcare provider to reach out and say, hey, how are things going if you don't hear from them? It's good business. If you're just running a business, you don't want to lose your clients. But more importantly, for their own health, it's a good way to reach out. And if they know you're invested, it's good. One of the things I like to do is give a diary. I tell people, listen, here's a piece of paper, here's a book, whatever you want to use. I want you to write down your weight, not every day, don't be obsessed with it, but Three times a week, you know, take your weight. Just at the same time of day, similar if it's in the morning, evening, whatever you want to do, just take it and see where you are and see if you've made a difference. Invariably, I have people come in and they go, I only lost one pound or I gained a pound or I stayed the same. And I always try to stress, yes, but look how much you had gained in prior visits and look at how you've curbed it. You've already won because you haven't made it far worse. And they feel good about that. And then that gives them a motivation. Whatever you can do, try to get them uh, as a partner, um, they'll start thinking about it. And I think you have to. And I think you owe it to them because clearly it's preventive medicine that's going to make the difference um, in healthcare, not only in controlling costs and all the things we're looking at as a society, but in people's own lives. The more they can do, the better. Dr. McDonough, that's a perfect message to end off. I wish we could talk for longer. It's a pity that we only have so much time because we could speak about this all day, and I hope to get you back sometime. Thank you very much. I enjoyed talking with you too, man. We've been talking with Dr. Brian McDonough about obesity in children and adolescents. Reach MD on air and on demand. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the Clinician's Roundtable, and thanks for listening. This segment of the Clinician's Roundtable is brought to you by Prova Education, your source for evidence-based continuing medical education. 
please visit ReachMD.com to download this podcast. Thank you for listening.